You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Genesis chapter 27, uh, here's where we're going verse by verse. We've been looking uh, at this uh, epic story that is unfolding of the Abrahamic covenant. You'll remember God called this man Abraham to himself. God did not call him because he was righteous, because he wasn't. He was a pagan. He was worshiping other gods. And God said, I want to call you to myself and I want to make a covenant with you. And he makes a covenant that he, it's called the Abrahamic covenant. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a a homeland. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bring the Messiah through you. And that Messiah will come through your lineage. And through him, all the nations of the earth, all the people on the earth will be blessed because of him. And God makes this promise with a man named Abram. Uh, Abram doesn't know God, and Abram's journey with God begins. And this is what God does. He takes us when we are uh, lost and astray and says, hey, I want you to know me, I want you to walk with me, and I want to use your life for my glory. And he calls Abraham to himself. He makes this covenant with him, and it's called the Abrahamic covenant. And this covenant is a covenant that lasts forever. It is in existence today. And uh, this covenant uh, is uh, through the nation Israel that God is doing this work. And so Abraham, he's old. He doesn't have any kids. And, and uh, uh, he goes and, and uh, tries to help God out. And he has a child through a surrogate mother. Uh, and that child's name is Ishmael. And God says, no, 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 no. The covenant isn't upon Ishmael. Uh, you're going to have a child. I'm going to do this work. This is my work. And, and at 100 years of age, Abraham has a child. His name is Isaac. And that covenant is passed on to him. Isaac then grows, uh, gets married. And sure enough, uh, they can't have children either. And for 20 years, they're married and they don't have children. And they, she finally gets pregnant. Rebecca gets pregnant. And as she does, she has twins and this pregnancy is tumultuous, man. I mean, it is like horrible. Uh, all kinds of uh, fighting going on in, in, in the womb. And she's like, Lord, what is going on? And he says, two nations are in your womb. Uh, that's a difficult pregnancy when you've got two nations in your womb, right? Uh, two nations are in your womb. And uh, my covenant is going to be on the younger uh, why? God, why make it so confusing? Like, why, why twins? Why not just one and the covenant's with that one? That'd be simple. No, no, God's trying to show us something. Well, why not have the covenant then go to the firstborn? That's the way it's supposed to work, right? The firstborn gets the blessing. God says, no, 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 no. I'm trying to show you something. The covenant is going to go to the younger son. Why? They're only moments apart because he's trying to show us something. This work that God does in our lives 
It's not by our merit. It's not by our works. It's by God's election. It's by God's work upon us. And to teach us this, he says, no, no, no. Uh, this covenant is going to go to the younger. And so now last week we saw here, I'm getting us up to speed if you weren't with us last week. Uh, last week we saw the boys have now grown. They're adults. Esau has been married uh, uh, Jacob's not married yet, but they're, they're adults. They're grown men. And <clears throat> um, Isaac is getting old. He's 138 years old. He's blind. And he chooses to give the blessing to the wrong son. He chooses to give the blessing to Esau in disobedience to God. And his wife, Rebecca, hears about it. <clears throat> and she comes up with this big ploy to trick him. The title of last week's message was Spiritual Imposters. And she dresses Jacob up in, her, her, in Esau's clothes. And Esau pretends to be somebody he's not in order to earn a spiritual blessing. And you look at the wisdom of God in this story and it's just phenomenal because it is a picture of humanity. Do you know what is happening right now in churches across the United States and churches across the world? There are people who are dressing up as something they're not to get a spiritual blessing and the folly is insane as if that could ever happen. And so last week we looked at spiritual imposters and today we're looking at the danger of vain religion. Vain religion? Yeah, just going through religious motions without your heart engaged. The danger of vain religion. So she dresses Jacob, the younger, in her older son's clothes, and he goes in and pretends to be somebody else. And uh, Isaac, thinking it's Esau, blesses him. And uh, the blessing goes to Jacob, just as it was supposed to be. Isaac then comes home from the hunting trip, right? And he says, Dad, I got the food. And he makes a big barbecue. And he brings this barbecued uh, food in that he just went out hunting for. And Isaac goes, what? Who are you? He says, I'm Esau. What are you talking about? He goes, I already blessed you. He goes, oh my gosh, that was my brother Jacob. He tricked you. And Isaac trembles. Why? Because he realizes he had gone against God's will and God's will prevailed. And Isaac repents right there and uh, uh, says, uh, son, I, I, he could have called Jacob in and said, what were you doing? Uh, that was, he goes, no, no, Esau, I, I've given the blessing to Jacob and the blessing will stay with Jacob. He knew that he had sinned against God. And so that's where we pick up and we were... Uh, the, the, the story continues. This would be a great movie, would it not? Uh, this would be an amazing movie. And um, so we pick up right there. We're in chapter 27. We're at verse 34. Let's back up to verse 33 just to get the, the, the continuing flavor. Uh, are you there? Your Bible's open? Yeah, yeah. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Uh, Esau's like, dad, it's me, right? Uh, and Isaac says, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. 
Isaac says, look, I'm not changing, right? And I love the spiritual leadership of Isaac here. He had been neglecting that, and now he gets back on track. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Jacob means what? For those of you who have been with here. You deceiver. Is he not rightly named a deceiver, a trickster, a, har- you know, a, sh- a charlatan? Uh, for he has supplanted me these two times. Uh, very fu- interesting here. If you look at the words, and Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has Jacobed me these two times is basically what he's saying. Uh, so we have a new, new vernacular we can use now. I've been Jacobed. <laughs> Are you Jacobing me? Uh, like, uh, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has Jacobed me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. Uh, when he says these two times, what time is he referring back to for you Bible scholars and who have been part of the study? What's he referring back to? When he sold his birthright, what did he sell it for? For food, for a bowl of beans. He's tricked me the first time, and now he tricked me again. He took away my birthright and my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Verse 37. Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master. And all his brethren, all his descendants, in other words, I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do for you, my son? Think about how hard this would be for Isaac right here. This is the son that he loves. You shouldn't have favorites as as parents, but Esau is Isaac's favorite. But he knows he had gone against God. And now he stands up and he says the truth. He speaks the hard things. And sometimes we have to do that as, as, as in life, you know. And I love seeing that Isaac is now uh, standing firm in his role as a spiritual leader. And uh, Esau said to his father, verse 38, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, O my father. And Esau, Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Oh, what a pathetic scene. What a tragic scene. Esau, brokenhearted, crying like crazy. His remorse is obvious, man. He is just incredibly remorseful, just brokenhearted. Dad, please, please. Tears coming down his face. But here's the question. What is Esau remorseful about? What is he sorrowful for? What is he brokenhearted over? What? That he didn't get the blessing. I want you to know, Esau mourns his loss of God's blessings, but he has no desire to know God. He is not mourning his loss of God. He is saying, oh, I'm missing all of the blessing. I'm missing all of the prosperity. I'm missing all of the reward of God's stuff. Uh, But no regard for God whatsoever. 
uh, hasn't been living for God, hasn't thought of God, doesn't even know God, but he wants God's blessings. And uh, uh, tragic, big mistake, right? And notice what he says. Jacob took my birthright away these two times. Is that true? That is not true at all. He's referring back to the first time. You'll remember he's a hunter. He had been out on a big hunting safari, and he'd been gone for days. And unfortunately, he didn't, ca- he didn't get anything that, on that trip. And so he comes back famished. And when he comes back, Jacob was a homebody. Jacob was there in the kitchen, and he's cooking up a big, nice Thanksgiving dinner, right? And Esau comes walking in, famished from a a hunting trip without getting anything, and he comes into the house. Oh, my gosh. Is that a steak? Oh, my gosh. Is that a double-double? Right? I mean, he just smells. Is that fries? Isn't that amazing? Like when you're really hungry, you ever fasted? You're like, you can smell French fries from a mile away, right? (laughs) He comes into the house. Oh my gosh. And Jacob, being the swindler that he is, he says, oh, I'm, uh, Esau says, I'm famished. Uh, Give me some of that. And Jacob says, hey, the opportunist that he is, right? I'll give you this fine Thanksgiving meal if you sell me your birthright. And do you remember Esau's response? My birthright, (laughs) What good is that? Yeah, take it. Just give me the food. And he sells the spiritual birthright for a bowl of beans. So prophetic. So prophetic. How many people today are totally foregoing the gifts and the blessings of God to satisfy their carnal desires? to satisfy their appetites, to satisfy their lust. Oh, they know that God is real. They know that back in the, but they're like, later, later, I want to gratify my flesh. And Esau becomes a picture of the flesh. And notice this, he takes no responsibility. He says, didn't he trick me? wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't you sell your birthright for a bowl of beans? Didn't you sell your birthright for a momentary pleasure of the flesh? And I want you to know something. This is a common theme among unbelievers. This is a common theme among unregenerate humans. Wow, that's a sharp term, isn't it? unregenerate humans. That means those who aren't born again. Those who refuse the call of God on their life. A common theme among unregenerate humans is a victim mentality. Failing to take responsibility for your actions. Blaming it on someone else. Look what Jacob did to me. Let me tell you something, Esau. Jacob did not do this to you. You did this to yourself. And it is so easy to have a victim mentality. And we are living in a day and an age where that victim mentality is being propagated. And I want you to know something. It will not produce anything good in your life. No one else is responsible for you. 
You are responsible for your own actions. And nothing can take away God's plan for your life except your disobedience. And Esau, he doesn't see that. He takes no responsibility for his actions. Instead, he blames others. Esau, your whole life, you've had no regard for God. Esau, your whole life, you did not value this covenant that God put upon your family. You've had no desire to know God. You've had no desire to walk in his ways. And now you mourn for what? For God? Are you mourning for God? No. He's mourning for God's blessings. Esau mourns not for God's presence, mourns not for a relationship with God, but for a loss of God's blessings. He wants the financial and the political advantages of the birthright, but he has no interest in a relationship with God. And may I share with you, this is vain religion. Uh, It is pathetic. Uh, There's a great verse in Hebrews about this with Esau, and uh, I'm bringing it to you today from the message version, which is not really a translation, more of a paraphrase. I don't use it often, but I thought it captured this really well. Let me hear you read this in a unified voice. Uh, uh, I want the windows to shake when you read this, okay? Uh, Let's read together. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessings, but by then, it was too late. Tears or no tears. Wow. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. Why? Because there's a little Esau in all of us who would trade his spiritual birthright for a momentary pleasure of the flesh. I've seen men throw away a marriage and a family for a momentary pleasure of the flesh. I've seen women, uh, and you get it, right? Like uh, Esau mourns the loss of God's blessings, but he has no heart for God whatsoever. He has no desire to know God, and it is tragic. And it begs the question, does it not? Think of it. What did Esau want? What was Esau after? Well, it begs the question, what do you want from God? What are you looking for? What do you desire from God? And here we see something. Here we ponder something. We look at how God works and we see something peculiar. We see something interesting that we must take note of. God is a person. And we don't often think that way. And uh, much like a child who is two or three years old, he doesn't really think of his parents as a person with feelings. It's just mom and dad. And that's fine for a two or three year old, right? Because uh, a parent's role is just to provide for them and give to them. And God does that for us. He's a good father. But it is the parent's hope. It is the parent's desire that the time comes and those children become aware that, wow, mom, dad are actually people. And that they love me. 
and that I really appreciate their love for me and their provision for me and all they've given for, for me. And now I want to have a relationship with mom and dad, right? And uh, I can't look at my daughter right now or I'm going to cry. I just barely looked at her eyes and I'm not going to cry uh, because I have that. Uh, and it's meaningful. And I want you to know that is just a mere reflection. Gosh darn it, Mariah. <laughs> oh, gosh darn it. Um, that is just a mere reflection of our relationship with God. You see, God wants us. He provides for us. He gives everything to us. And we live our selfish, sinful, care less about God lives. And he continues to pour out his love upon us. And that even when we were enemies against him, he's pouring out his love upon us. That we might one day wake up and go, oh my goodness. That God so loved me. That he would give his only begotten son. Lord, I want to know you. You see, God is a person. He has a mind. He has a will. He has a heart, if you will. He loves and he desires intimate relationships. You were created by God on purpose that you might discover his infinite love for you. And it would move you. And it would move you to the core. And you would then say, I want to know you. And then you would study his ways and you would learn of him and you would go, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to emulate your ways. Your ways are right. Your ways are good. This is what God designed. And vain religion is just going through the motions without ever having a heart for God. And that is where Esau is. And it is, it's, it's so sad. It's so sad. And so because God is looking for this and because God is wanting this, God looks not merely at our, our actions, but God looks at what? Our heart. And the Bible is crystal clear about this. The Bible tells us uh, emphatically that this is what God is looking for. Uh, look at this verse in Jeremiah chapter 17 on your screens. By the way, great job reading that last verse. Let's do it again that way. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Well, that makes sense. If what I said was really true, God would be looking at the heart. God really would be examining the heart. Now, I want to give you this in context, uh, by the way. I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, I search the heart. I give to every man according to the fruit of his doing, not immediately. Not in a month, not in a year, not in five years, but over a period of time. He searches and he looks and he says, what do you want from me? What are you going after? Do you understand my love for you? Do you even care? For Esau, the answer had been an absolute no. And now Esau cries and he mourns, but he just wants God's blessings. Uh, here's another version of this same verse. Look at this. This is from the message version. Let's hear you read this. I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. 
I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. Wow. Uh, in other words, God is very much interested in why we come to him. It matters why we come to him. And we must come to him for the right reasons. I wonder, what do you want from God? Why do you come to him? We must come to him for the right reasons. Put that next slide up for me, if you will. Uh, what are the right reasons for coming to God? Well, number one, we come to him because he is the creator God. You see, you would not exist. This world would not exist. This universe would not exist if he didn't speak it into existence. And just for the fact that he is creator God, he is worthy. Amen. And we ought to come to him showing all the worth that is due his, his name because he's our creator. Do you realize that your heart beats because he created your heart to beat? And the moment he says, you're done, your heart quits beating. The moment he says, no more breath for you, you've breathed your last breath. Uh, he is worthy of all of our worship simply because he is creator God, but there's more. Not only is he creator God, he's also a holy God. What does that mean? Well, holy is a very difficult word to define. It's a word that is used only for God. And the best way we can define holy is he is separate from everything else. That's what holy means. He is righteous. He is just. He is holy. He is unlike anything else. We are not righteous and just. We are selfish, and we'll make decisions that are best for us at the expense of someone else. And we live in the world, and we long for righteousness, and we long for justice, because we hate all the injustice that happens to us, and we hate all the wrong that happens, we hate all the unfairness, and well, we long for that, because that's who God is. And God is worthy of all of our worship, because he is holy, and he is just. Aren't you glad, by the way, that God actually is holy? For we could just as well have a creator God who was unholy. And I don't know what the universe would look like then. Uh, but we have a God who is holy, and I'm so thankful. Uh, so the reasons that we worship God, the right way for coming to God, number one, he's, he's the creator. Number two, he's holy and just. Uh, number three, because he has tremendous love for us. It boggles the mind. You are not an experiment. God is not a crazy eight-year-old with a magnifying glass just watching little ants burn under the heat for his entertainment. How do we know this? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that God himself would leave heaven and become a man. All for the purpose of taking the punishment of sin upon his own shoulders. That righteousness may be given to us as a free gift. 
That is incredible love. That even though we were spoiled two and three-year-olds who had no concept of who God is and rebelling against him, he would continue to love and build and call. Uh, and uh, just amazing, uh, his desire to save us from our selfish, selfish, sinful rebellion against God. Uh, I want you to know uh, it matters to God why we come to him. Why are you coming to him? God is not difficult to please. God is not capricious. Well, I like him. I don't really like him. I like her. I don't really like her. No, God is not difficult to please. But he is very interested in why we're coming to him. And you know what he's looking for? A heart that understands his love for him. His love for you. Uh, that's what he's looking for. Uh, a heart that would understand. Um, a lot of verses I could have taken you to on this. I want to bring a couple for you. This one is Psalm 34. Uh, look how it unpacks this. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. Uh, what is that? Oh, when we realize, oh my gosh, Lord, you are the creator God. Oh my gosh, you are holy and just and right in all that you do. And oh my gosh, I am sinful and unholy and unrighteous and selfish, and I have sinned against you. And you love me so much that you gave your son. Uh, Lord, if you love me that way, I want to know you. Uh, then we have a broken and a contrite heart. Lord, forgive me. Be merciful to me. I think of the thief on the cross. He was a murderer. He was a thief, obviously. I call him the thief on the cross. Uh, a life of, of sin, a life of crime. And there Jesus is on the cross, taking the punishment of the world on his own shoulders. And this thief is mocking Jesus. This murderer is mocking Jesus. Ha, some Messiah, you saved others. You can't even save yourself. If you're really the Messiah, come off the cross. What a joke. And he's mocking Jesus. From the cross, Jesus speaks these words. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And that thief hears the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit. And he goes, oh my gosh. That's no man. That's God. And he looks into Jesus' face and he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe you are who you say you are. Nobody could do what you're doing. And look at Jesus' words to this man. Hardened criminal. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You're forgiven. You're washed. You're cleansed. Your sins, although they're many, are all washed away. And you are now made holy enter into the joy of your Lord. Oh my gosh. Why? Because he realized God's love and it broke his heart. And God is not hard to please. He wants to give out his blessings to all who call upon him. Uh, one more verse that shows this tender heart of God. Uh, Psalm 51. Uh, let me hear you read this one with me. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. 
For you do not delight, excuse me, you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. I took you here for a reason. I want to illustrate what David was pondering, what he was understanding, and what he was praying back to God. He starts off by saying, Lord, open my lips. Give me the ability to understand and speak of things of who you really are. I will praise you when I understand who you really are. And as he's meditating on God, here's his revelation. Here's what he's learning. God, you do not desire sacrifice. You don't desire burnt offerings. Wait, 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 pause, time out. What? Who is it who asks for sacrifice? Who is it who asks for burnt offerings? Well, that's the Bible. That's God. What do you mean you don't desire them? What is David saying? He's saying, God, I realize you're not looking for religious activities. You're not looking for me to go to church and to go through some rituals. That's not what you're after. Uh, Don't you want sacrifices? Yes, of course he does. Why? So that we understand his heart. So that we learn his mind. So that we learn his person. How so? Because you're, you're a sinner. What was the sacrifice for? Well, the sacrifice was a picture to show God's love for you. It was? How? Because you're a sinner and you deserve judgment. But that judgment will be passed on from you onto an animal. Substitutionary atonement. Onto a something else that will take the place of your judgment it will be that judgment will be given to this animal and then you realize that is just a picture of the messiah and what he will do god didn't delight in animal sacrifices had but he did delight in you understanding what he was going to do by taking your sin away, by becoming a man, and taking all of your wrath on his shoulders so that you could have righteousness as a free gift without price. Wow. David realizes this, and he goes, I get it. You're not after some religious observance. You love me. Oh, my gosh. And he says, no, 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 we're not done. Uh, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, a heart moved like the thief on the cross going, oh my goodness, be merciful to me. You're amazing. That's what God's looking for. And so the question has to be asked, what are you looking for? What do you want from God? See, we have to come to God with right motives or he will withdraw. God is not finicky. God is not capricious. God is not like, oh, I like you. I don't like you. No, 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 no. But he examines the heart and we must come to God with the right motives. Or do you know what he will do? He will withdraw. We see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus displayed it to us. Why? Because Jesus was God in the flesh. 
In John chapter 6, Jesus had been teaching all day, profound teaching, teaching that just revealed the love of God, the very things that we're discussing even now, teaching that showed, oh, he's clearly the Messiah. And he taught the people all day long. You think I preach a long time, (laughs) all day long. And at the end of the day, uh, it was time for dinner and the disciples were tired. And the disciples said, Lord, send all these people home, man. I mean, masses came out to hear him. Send them all home that we can go home, we can get some dinner. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't send them home hungry. Feed them, take care of them. And they go, hey, we don't have anything. And then he goes, well, what do you got? You know, five loaves, two fish, bring them to me. And he feeds 5,000. And he feeds 5,000. And everybody's blown away. The next day, Those people that were fed, they come early in the morning to see Jesus. But there's a problem. What's the problem? They're not coming for Jesus. They're coming because this is a new world order and we like it. (laughs) Food out of nothing. We don't have to work. You provide everything for us. We just want your riches. To that, do you know what Jesus did? He gave a very difficult teaching that they could not understand and he withdrew from them. Wow. Why? Because God cares very much about why we come to him. Why are you coming to God? What do you want? Look what Jesus said as he tried to redirect them because they were coming after food. He didn't just give up on them and withdraw. He said, look, don't labor for the food which perishes, but labor for the food that brings eternal life. Uh, In other words, uh, don't be satisfied with just a meal. You're going to get hungry again, but if you come to me, you'll never hunger. I'll give you, I'll I'll fill your soul. Uh, Look what Jesus said in John 6 after this. Jesus said to them, answered them and said, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate loaves. And were filled. Saw the signs? What signs? That this was no man. This was God among us. This was the Messiah. And instead of being in awe of that God, you were in awe of his wallet. You were in awe of bread. And you wanted blessings more than the God. And he withdrew himself. Wow. What do you want from God? What do you want from God? Food, clothing, financial prosperity, your problems to vanish. You want to go to heaven when you die? What do you want from God? Can I tell you something? Heathen, unbelievers want all of those things I just mentioned. And so did Esau. And he did not get them. And neither will they. God is very interested in why we come to him. And may we be careful what we want from God. May we actually seek his face and not his wallet. May we actually seek his heart and not his wealth. May we actually be in awe of his love for us. And may we say, oh my gosh, Lord, I want to know a God who loves me like that. 
Esau cries out for the blessing, but he does not get it because he has no heart for what God is offering. And Isaac steps up and he leads his family well. Uh, Let's pick back up in our story. Verse 39. And Isaac, his father, answered his crying son that was saying, Give me the blessing, father. Uh, Then Isaac, his father, answered, verse 39, and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. In other words... Uh, You're going to live in a land of great abundance. You're not going to go hungry. You're going to have all the things that you're really asking for. But by your sword, you shall live. Interesting. Why? You have all the food, everything you need, and you're still going to be fighting with everyone. You're going to be contentious. By the sword, you shall live. Fighting everybody. Look what else he says. And you shall serve your brother. What does that mean? You're going to be a follower, not a leader. You're going to be fighting with everybody. You're going to be contentious. And you're going to be a follower, not a leader. And it shall come to pass when you become restless. What does that mean? You're going to be fighting everybody. You're going to be a follower, not a leader, and you're going to be restless. You're going to be discontent. You're going to be, uh, you know, just uh, tension in your life. You're going to be irritated. Then you shall break his yoke from your neck. What's that? Constant strife with your brother. Constant strife with man. What a picture. Then you shall break his yoke from your neck. Yeah, you'll cast it off. And can I say something? Welcome to the Middle East. When you look at the words that were spoken and prophesied on Ishmael, and you look at the words that were spoken and prophesied on Esau, all I can say is, welcome to the Middle East. These are the exact character traits. Look at verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Uh, Paraphrase, I know dad's about to die. I'm not going to do it now. But the day dad dies. I'm going to get revenge, and I'm going to kill my brother. And I want you to know, look how quickly the words and the prophecy that Isaac just spoke over Esau comes to pass. He's the very man he just said these things were going to happen to. Amazing, amazing. Esau hates his brother Esau, excuse me, Jacob, Uh, And his desire is to kill his brother Jacob. What does that reveal about Esau's heart? What does that reveal about Esau's walk with God? What does that reveal about how Esau understands who God is? What does it reveal? It reveals he doesn't know God at all. He wants to comfort himself by taking vengeance against his brother. 
You don't know God at all. For one thing, that is the brother that God wants to put the blessing on. For one thing, every brother, every man is a child uh, that God wants to bring to himself. And you're going to comfort yourself by killing? Shows he has a hard heart that doesn't know God at all. I want you to know something, church. Pay attention. Learn from Esau. We cannot say we, we know God and hate our brother. They are mutually exclusive. The moment we know God, guess what we will do? We will love our brother. Well, what if our brother is an atheist? Oh, we will love him. Well, what if our brother is a drug dealer? Oh, we will love him. Well, what if our brother is a sexual deviant? Oh, it won't matter. We'll do all that we can to bring them to truth. We won't tolerate their behavior and just say, oh, it's okay, be a drug dealer, be a sexual deviant. No, 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 we'll point them back to God's ways because in God's ways there is life. And we, if we are, if we know God, we cannot hate our brother. That is just a truth repeated over and over in scripture. Uh, here's a verse for you, 1 John. Uh, take a look at this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, let me hear you read this, church. He who says he is in the light, oh, let's pause, uh, paraphrase. What does that mean? He who says he's in the light. I want a specific word for light. He who's, what's the paraphrase for light? I'm not hearing it. Closer. Christian, thank you. He who says he's a Christian and hates his brother is in darkness to now. It's vain religion. He who loves his brother abides in God's light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness, and he walks in darkness, and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I, Esau can't see the truth. He can't understand the truth of God's love. He can't know that, hey, God has a great life for me too if I would just walk in his ways. He can't see any of that. He wants to kill his brother. And oh, it just reveals he knows nothing about God. Esau believes in God, but his religion is in vain. His belief in God is in vain. He does not know God. And there are many in this camp. And the reason the story is in the Bible is to wake the dead that are in this camp and to bring them to life. It is probable that Esau wanted to kill his brother as soon as his dad died so that he would then get what? The inheritance, the blessing. And then go against God's word. And here once again we see that he just doesn't understand who God is. He has no relationship with God. He's living for himself. He seeks revenge. I want to take a sidebar here and just talk about revenge for a moment. Because all of us have a desire to be vengeful at times. It's called our flesh. It's called our sin nature. So let's don't pretend like we're above this. We're not. There's an Esau in us all, or we wouldn't be reading these stories. So what do we do when we have this desire for vengeance? Well, we remember something. 
uh, Hebrews 10 tells us that vengeance belongs to who? To the Lord. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Why? Why does vengeance belong to the Lord? Oh, really good, church. Really good. Here's why. Because we're not qualified to bring vengeance. We are unjust. We are self-centered. We always see things our way. And we are not capable of being a just judge. Therefore, vengeance is the Lord's. And the Lord will take vengeance. He will. He will bring every sin into judgment. It'll either be on the back of Jesus Christ or it'll be on your own back. But he will bring vengeance. But vengeance is the Lord. And we are not qualified to seek it. Therefore, what are we to do when someone wrongs us? What are we to do when we're jacob right? Have you been jacob lately? I am being jacob right now as we speak in a big way. In a way that is, uh, has huge ramifications on my entire uh, financial existence. Uh, being jacob in a big way. What do we do when... When we're jacob Here's what I want you to know. We're all going to be jacob We're all, it's going to happen. So what do we do? Well, uh, it's not really complex. Uh, what should have Esau done? How about talking to Jacob? Jacob, what the heck, man? I mean... Why would you do this to me? Come in and pretend to be me. I mean, what the heck? How about talking to him? Well, that'd be a start. And that's not real complex, but we don't like doing it because we would rather just hold on to that grudge inside our heart. And it only destroys us. Here's the second thing, which has already now been revealed. How about forgiving Jacob? Oh, man, I get it. I'm selfish. I've done so many selfish things. Not really that big a deal. I don't know why I'm making such a big deal of this. I mean, uh, I do it all the time, if I'm honest. Uh, I'll talk with Jacob. I'll forgive Jacob. It's really not that big a deal. Uh, how about this? Moving on in peace. Uh, I get it. I understand. Um, I'm okay. Uh, not that big a deal. Uh, hating him and seeking vengeance will not help us. It will only take away our own life. May we be wise. May we be wise. Uh, this teaching is all through the Bible. Uh, Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. Don't take it so seriously, man. Just move on, right? Just move on. Uh, um, here's a verse for you. Uh, Leviticus 19. I could have brought a lot of verses, but here's one that I... I, I I found important. Uh, let me hear you read this, and then I want to unpack it with you. Uh, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of them. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
Uh, here, not just a New Testament teaching. This is all through the Bible, the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's some great instruction in this passage. I want you to see it. Don't hate your brother in your heart. You ever prone to do that? Of course you are, right? We all are, right? I can't believe they did that to me. I'm going to tell him, oh, be careful, careful. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Instead, you shall rebuke your neighbor. What does that mean? What does that mean? Confront it. You see, Esau, no problem that you're bummed that Jacob did that to you. That was wrong. But what you should do is confront them. Uh, Galatians says, do you see a brother who is stumbling in offense? You who are spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If Esau would just consider himself, he'd say, I've done that a million times. No big deal, right? And so look at this. You should not hate your brother. Instead, you should go talk to your brother. Confront them on it. And look what it says. And not bear sin, what? Because of him. Esau is going to become a murderer because he just didn't go and deal with this. And now that's not Jacob's problem. That's whose problem? That's Esau's problem. Uh, so, uh, uh, great teaching that from the Bible. Uh, we all get wronged in life. We all get wronged. Uh, bad things are going to happen to us. We're all going to get Jacobed. Uh, bad things happen to us, but I want you to know something. Bad things do not define us. It is our response that defines us. Big difference. Bad things do not define us. It's our response to bad things that defines us. And so may we be wise. May we take it to heart. Uh, I wish I had time to take you there. But if you're a Bible scholar and you'd like to study more on this, uh, write these verses down. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. And listen to what Jesus said about vengeance. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. Listen to what Jesus said about vengeance. Here we see Esau's hatred and vengeful attitude is going to cause him to suffer needlessly. He could have been at peace with God. He could have been honest with himself and said, you know what, uh, Lord, I haven't been pursuing you. I understand why the birthright's going to Jacob. Uh, Lord, I myself, I've been on the wrong path. Lord, please forgive me. I want to get right with you. I want to walk with you. And Peace could have come over his life. An abundant life could have entered into his life right then and there. Uh, but he, he's going to suffer needless hardship. And what a wasted life. What a wasted life. Jacob planning, excuse me, Esau planning murder for 20 years. We're going to learn 20 years he plans murder. Look at verse 41. Um, uh, we're going to move now. Uh, this whole deceptive ploy, whose idea was this of Jacob dressing up as Esau? Rebecca. And you know what we're going to see? Rebecca is going to, her sinful deception is going to cause her needless hardship in her life. It's going to cause extreme hardship in our life. I want you to know when we disobey God, it's expensive. It brings hardship in our life. Uh, it brings divorce, it brings bitterness, it brings broken hearts, it brings ruined relationships, and it's going to have a high cost for her. Uh, let's pick up where we left off, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob 
because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. But as soon as dad dies, man, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. Verse 42. Then uh, the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. What a picture of our sin nature. How is Jacob, excuse me, how is Esau being comforted? Oh, I'll kill him, man. I'll kill him. And he finds comfort in that. Take a look at how ugly sin is. Now, therefore, verse 43, my son, obey my voice, Jacob, obey my voice, arise and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Go to uncle Laban's house, she says, verse 44, and stay with him a few days. I would like you to underline these words, stay with him a few days. Will you do that for me? Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. What is Rebecca thinking? Go to Uncle Laban, and when your brother cools off, I'll bring you home, right? Look what she says. Until your brother's anger turns away, verse 45, from you, and forgets what you have done to him, then I will send for you and bring you from there. Why should I be reeved also of you both in one day. Why should I bereaved of both of you? Who's both of you? Let's try to understand the text. What's he saying? Jacob and who else? Isaac, really good. If Isaac dies and Esau kills Jacob, the day that Isaac dies, Esau kills Jacob, then I'm going to be bereaved of both of you in one day. So, Go down to Uncle Laban's house. Stay there a little while. Soon as Jake, uh, excuse me, as soon as uh, Esau cools off, I'll bring you back. Can I tell you something? It wasn't a few days. Esau, excuse me, Jacob. I'm getting mixed up on all these names. Jacob went down to Laban's house for twenty years. Rebecca never saw him again. She died before he returned. Sin carries a price that is so much higher than we can ever grasp. Wasn't worth it. You're getting your way. Just wasn't worth it, Rebecca. Look at the price it costs. Verse 46. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? What does she mean, I'm weary of the daughters of Heth? Who were the daughters of Heth? They were Esau's wives. Esau married two women. Uh, he has no heart for God. He marries two women, and they're, they're from the land of Canaan. They're pagans. They're not believers. They're unequally yoked. They're causing all kinds of hardship. And she tells her husband, uh, uh, Rebecca tells Isaac, Isaac, uh, we didn't lead our kids well on this. Uh, tell Jacob to go down and marry from Haran, from our family. Verse 28, so Isaac calls Jacob and blessed him 
and charged him. I love those words. Way to go, Isaac. He's walking in the role of a spiritual leader again. He had quit when he went blind and, and in his old age. And now he's, again, he's, he's not capitulating. He's doing the right things. And he charged him and he says to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Oh, that was what Abraham told his servant regarding his son, Isaac. Isaac should have known this. He should have instructed his kids, but at least he's doing the right thing now. Isaac, don't take a daughter, a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Verse 2, arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there, from the daughters of Laban, uh, Uncle Laban, your mother's brother. And I love this, man. Isaac is leading his family again. And look what he says here, verse 3. May God Almighty bless you. Uh, you might want to write yourself a little note if you're a Bible scholar. Let El Shaddai bless you. He uses the Hebrew words El Shaddai. First time they were used, Genesis 17.1, when God uh, affirms the Abrahamic covenant to Abraham. He's bringing Jacob back. He says, remember, son, the Abrahamic covenant is upon you. And he will make you fruitful and multiply you. That you may be an assembly of people. Or in other words, you might be a great nation. And he will give you the blessings of Abraham. Or in other words, the Abraham covenant is upon you. To you and your descendants after you. That you may inherit the land. Or in other words, that you might uh, uh, have a homeland. The nation Israel in which you are a stranger, to which God gave Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Badan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, or in other words, Uncle Laban. Uh, here, Here's what I found. <laughs> uh, in the hope of finding a bride, Isaac sends Jacob on a 500-mile journey to go to Uncle Laban's house. And it, this is so cool. In the next eight chapters, uh, they're going to be focused entirely on Jacob. And you know what we're going to see in the next eight chapters? I can't wait to study them with you. You know what we're going to see? God is going to take slimy Jacob, <laughs> swindler Jacob, deceitful Jacob, and he's going to turn him into and make him into a man of God. And do you know why I'm a pastor? Because I love watching God do this work in your life. And I love watching him do this work in my life. Taking slimy Dave. <laughs> and turning me little by little. Molding and conforming me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's what he does. And it's epic to watch and I never tire of seeing it and I love watching it in you oh, it's beautiful uh, so powerful and uh, you know we'll watch it but let's wrap up let's close let's let's see uh, as we finish this section on Esau and move now into a whole thing of Jacob next week uh, let's look at what happens let's look at what Esau does uh, again the title of the message vain religion uh, big hint right there verse 6 Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a, himself a wife from there. 
And he saw that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. This is Esau. He's seeing all this. And he saw that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram and that that blessed them, that that pleased them. And Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. He saw that his wives were a major pain to the entire family and a grief to his dad and his mom. So Esau went to Ishmael. Who's Ishmael? Ishmael is his uncle. He saw Jacob go to Uncle Laban, so he goes, I'll go to Uncle Ishmael. Problem? Problem. What's the problem? Ishmael's not a man of God. Ishmael doesn't walk with God. Ishmael. And here we see the folly, right? Uh, Oh, I I get it. I'll go to Uncle Ishmael. And he took Mahaloth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife, in addition to the wives that he had. And we'll wrap up our time here. Esau takes cues from Jacob, and he finally sees the sins of marrying Canaanite women. Oh, I get it. I see why mom and dad have been so bummed about this the whole time. I'm unequally yoked with an unbeliever. They're pagans. Oh, I know what I'll do. It sure made them happy that Jacob was going to marry from the family. All marry from the family. Problem? He doesn't understand the heart of God at all. Ishmael is a picture of the flesh. And he misses it. And here's what I want us to see. Have you ever seen a person who doesn't know God try to act like a Christian? It's like a fish out of water, is it not? You can just see how the pretense in it. And uh, Esau is just like that. Esau's efforts, like all religious efforts of unbelievers, are superficial and ill-judged. And you can go to church, and you'll go to church to try to impress everybody. And you'll dress up really nice, and you'll say godly things, and you'll take communion just the right way, and do all the right things, and and you don't even realize it looks ridiculous. You're missing the heart of God completely. It is vain religion. That's Esau. Esau says, hey, because Jacob went to Uncle Laban for a wife, I'll go to Uncle Ishmael for a wife, and then I'll be godly too. And like all vain religion, he misses God's heart completely. He doesn't understand God's purposes. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website, at themissionchurch.net. God bless.